Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Field Goals Podcast. I am Dan Viennes, and it's Mock Draft Monday, our post-Super Bowl Mock Draft Monday. A little different perspective on how things are, uh, or how we want them to be after watching the Eagles and the Chiefs go at it yesterday and the Chiefs winning uh, their second Super Bowl in the Patrick Mahomes era uh, as, as his career just continues to head towards a really rarefied air. Um, at the age of just 27 years old, his second Super Bowl. Tom Brady had three by this age, but uh, Mahomes is really, really on to something over there in Kansas City. But we saw some similarities in those two teams and what got them there. Um, and as Seahawks fans, you know, we made the playoffs out in the first round. We know we've got the draft picks. We know we've got a little bit of cap flexibility. There are things that we see that we like, right? We're window shopping right now. We're watching the Senior Bowl. We're watching all of the All-Star games. We're watching the playoffs in the Super Bowl. We see things that we want. And how do you get those? Uh, you start by signing some free agents, potentially, and you draft. And that's what we do on Mock Draft Mondays here. As long as uh, field goals continues to exist anyway, at least through the end of this month. Um, by the way, a little programming note, late next week, because I'm leaving on the 26th for a little spring training adventure in Arizona. So late next week, uh, Dana Brandon Schultz, former host of this show, now host of the Seahawkers podcast. We're going to be getting together one last time uh, to kind of wrap some things up as we head into this offseason and say goodbye to the Field Goals podcast. And uh, with that being said, stick around for the end of the show tonight. I will have an announcement about the future of this feed and, uh, and what I'm personally going to be doing uh, as far as my next venture. But tonight, it's all about the draft. And we're going to do it a little different way uh, tonight. First of all, let me bring in my good friend, Michael Thompson from uh, 12th Man Rising to join me here. He has uh, been on the show before. We have done a mock draft before, but we did it together. We're going to do it a little differently this time. First of all, Michael, how are you? And um, right off right off the top, just give me some quick thoughts um, on this Monday after the Super Bowl about what you saw yesterday, and particularly as you're thinking about how you want to approach this offseason as someone who's into the team building aspect of things. If you're the Seahawks and you're seeing what happened in these playoffs, um, what is it telling you? Yeah. Hey, Dan. I uh, hope, hope all is well with you, man. Happy Monday after the Super Bowl. Uh, well, first off, I think it was very clear. I know there's a little bit of drama from like the Buffalo Cincinnati incident um, with DeMar Hamlin and whether Buffalo should have been the one seed and everything. I think that was very clearly the two best teams in football. Um, without question, the offensive lines – yesterday were fantastic mm -hmm. like that was a perfect example of what happens when you have a top three top five offensive line you can shut down a dominant pass rush the philadelphia eagles were like the 85 bears at times this season in terms of getting to the getting to the quarterback they didn't sack mahomes one time and if you give a great player time even though it's i think Everyone watching that game could understand Philly's a better team, but maybe yeah. a little bit of the coaching, the experience, and then just Mahomes' greatness. Not that Jalen Hurts didn't show greatness. It just was a little bit more creativity and getting guys open, whereas the Philly just looked more like it was almost like a basketball team that's super talented going against a well-oiled machine that's played together for so long. And it was like just sheer talent overcome great X's and O's and, and scheming guys open. And that was a very weird, like an interesting like battle. Um, but the clearest thing for me again was the, was the front line, the offensive line 
uh, a powerful center, a powerful interior offensive line, bookend tackles that can get the job done and give you time to get your talented guys like A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, even a little bit older veterans that used to be great, like Juju Smith-Schuster, Travis Kelsey. You give these guys time, you can do damage, and we just saw one of the highest-scoring Super Bowls of all time, one of the great Super Bowls of all time. I don't, I'm don't. i too tired to talk about the flag. I think everyone <laughs> wants to talk about it and stuff, and that'll probably get talked about for a few more days. Yeah. I think Bradbury kind of cleared that up for everyone, um, admitting that he did. He held, but it, it brought to my mind the need, the desperate, desperate need to go and fix, finish the offensive line. We got the bookend tackles. We need to finish that probably with one, if not two, interior players, whether that's in free agency or the draft, as well as going out and getting, in my opinion, I would call it a blue chip pass rusher. Yeah. And then probably some some unmovable force in the middle as a defensive tackle that's not almost 40 years old um, and has a chance to be great. And personally, I'm a big fan of this draft. Uh, I think that there is multiple guys on all of those positions that you can get, whether it's at pick five, 20, or even possibly going into the fourth and even maybe the fifth round. Yeah. It's interesting you, you talk about the offensive lines because so much of the focus this, this offseason so far for Seahawks fans has been we got we to gotta build that, that defensive front. And that's true. And Pete Carroll talked specifically about that. But, you know, Philadelphia Eagles really neutralized that Kansas City defensive line. We didn't hear a whole lot from Frank Clark. We didn't hear much at all from Chris Jones. And, and you know, they, they've made investments up, up there in both draft capital and free agency and then paying to retain their own guys, too. Um, and then you, you flip it over and you think about a couple of years ago and Kansas City, you know, Mahomes might have three Super Bowls if it weren't for that abysmal performance from his offensive line a couple of years ago. Granted, there were some uh, injuries at the time and they completely flipped that whole thing and rebuilt it. And they did it with some shrewd free agent signings, but also through the draft, Creed Humphrey and Trey Hill. And it just goes to show you as much as some people like to say, well, you don't want to lean too heavily on rookies. You can do it quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the Super Bowl, like I said, the biggest thing that struck my mind is just what a dominant offensive line can do in, in, you know, obviously a very slippery field led to a lot of wide open guys, but just that was the biggest thing for me. The second biggest thing, and I think this is something that's important for Seahawks fans that are divided on the Geno Smith camp or what path we go next with our picks is there's two different paths that you can go to being a great 15, 14 win team in the Super Bowl. You can have a franchise quarterback that you're paying $50 million a year as long as you chip away in the draft. Uh, and I wrote about this um, the day before the Super Bowl on on 12th Man Rising, some of the lessons that Seahawks fans can learn from these teams, the trenches. But also, if you just chip away at the draft, the Chiefs drafted Tyreek Hill, um, Chris Jones, and Mahomes in back-to-back drafts. And that was, uh, I believe, about five years ago. And each year, they have drafted a minimum of two to three starters every year. Just not even superstars, just yeah. chipping away, keep adding a few good players. And then this year, you want to talk about the only draft that can even threaten Seattle's draft? It's the Chiefs draft. Uh, I believe they had seven guys that they drafted yeah. that played meaningful minutes in the Super Bowl yeah. and, and were starters and none of those guys were necessarily superstars. Like Karlaftis wasn't a superstar, but he was a good player. And that's what Seattle needs. They need good players. Then you look at Philadelphia. They took advantage of nailing Jalen Hurts in the second round where you had a three-year window before you got to pay him $50 million yeah. where you could go and be, you know, and they had good drafts as well, but they were aggressive. They took what they had 
the Carson Wentz trade, and they were able to eventually parlay those things into getting A.J. Brown for just one first-round pick. And A.J. Brown was yep. a top-five receiver this yep. year. You know, you're able to trade back and still get Devontae Smith, who's one of the greatest receivers to ever, you know, play college football. Um, it allowed them to go out, you know, aggressive ownership and leadership, go get Indomitian Sue, go get Linval Joseph, go get Robert Quinn. Like it reminded me that they reminded me a lot of the 12, 13 Seahawks where let's go get Michael Ben. Let's go get Cliff Averill. Let's go get uh, Percy Harvin. Even if it doesn't work out, let's go get these guys and let's just try and overwhelm with talent. And so if you're a Seahawks fan, you're watching that game. I think it's very clear there's work to be done, but there's two paths that you can go whether you keep Gino and move forward with him and whatever that contract looks or whether you move forward and kind of do a, a one-year step back, but really load up on a youthful team. Yeah. And, and that'll, that's a, that's a subject for a whole nother show. And one that I plan to do. And I think the Super Bowl really kind of points that out is, is people tend to, you know, they have blinders on and they tend to narrow their focus so much that they only look at it one way and and Mm -hmm. this whole you see a lot of this in the message boards you see a lot of it in the seahawk facebook groups that i belong to and and uh even on the field goals and some of the comment section there it's either one extreme or the other it's either you get a franchise guy you know a top five guy and you pay him whatever because those guys don't grow on trees or you go with a rookie quarterback or a rookie contract there is a middle ground it's all about allocation of funds you look Mm -hmm. at the chiefs and the way they're able to do it is because they're paying, they're paying some big money to a couple of guys on the defensive line, a couple of guys in the secondary, but they're not paying a lot of money up front on offense on the offensive line because they've drafted well there. Mm-hmm. You look yep. at the Seahawks distribution of funds. Yeah, we can talk about how much they're paying their safeties, but they're not outside of Nuosu at 10 million a year. They're not paying any of their edge guys and they're young there. They're not really paying any of their, their defensive line guys, and they're probably going to draft to fill those holes. They've got their two offensive tackles they got in last year's draft, so that's a window of four years before they have to pay those guys. There's, it, it just Funds are going to be available, and we're not talking about Geno getting a $50 million a year contract. We're not talking about him having 20% of the salary cap like Mahomes does right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so you know, there, there's definitely opportunities. And the way that you attack that is through the draft. And you and I, we, we kept these from each other until the last minute. Um, but I did one, you did one. We did a couple things here. First of all, we did no trades on this one just to kind of see how it stacked up value wise at those pick selections. Uh, we used different simulators. You went pro football network. I went pro football focus so that we would be drawing from a different big board to account for variance and how things are going to change between now and the draft. Um, and we came up with some differences and you went a very different way at the top of the draft. I think this will make it interesting for people. So here's what we're going to do. First of all, um, <laughs> just uh, got, a, got a comment here. Uh, I'm not going to read that. Okay, um, let's do this. I want to pull up, first of all, let's go here, both of us. So this is my draft and I'm going to run through it first. For those of you watching the live, live stream, we'll make this uh, easier to see. We'll pull this out of here. So we'll run through each of our drafts first, and then we're going to alternate and go round by round and explain our picks. So this is my overall draft. I got Will Anderson Jr. out of Alabama at five. And when we get to the analysis, I'll, I'll talk about how that that's not the pipe dream that some people think it might be. Uh, at number 20, I went with the center out of Minnesota that suddenly Seahawks fans all know the name of. 
who they didn't know is his name two weeks ago, John Michael Schmitz out of Minnesota. Um, he was center one going into the senior bowl and did nothing but solidify his position there. Uh, second round with the two picks there, I went defensive lineman Keanu Benton. Can't wait to talk about him out of Wisconsin. Linebacker Jack Campbell out of Iowa. In the third round, guard Steve Avila out of TCU. In the fourth round, Kenny McIntosh, the running back out of Georgia. In the fifth round, two picks there. Took a quarterback, Aiden O'Connell out of Purdue. And a receiver who I wasn't that familiar with until the Senior Bowl, Jaden Reed out of Michigan State. Really excited to talk about him as well. And then uh, another defensive lineman in the sixth round, Jared Clark out of Coastal Carolina. No seventh round pick because none of the Sims yet have caught up with the fact that the Seahawks do have a seventh round pick this year. They did not have to give up a pick in the, uh, was it the John Reed trade with the Texans? I think that's what it was. Um, Where they don't have to um, uh, give up a seventh. So they do have one. All right. And here is yours. Graphics aren't as pretty, but uh, it's not too bad with my uh, amateur skills. Okay. Number five overall quarterback. Anthony Richardson out of Florida. Can't can't wait to dig into this. Then at 20, you also went offensive line. Osiris Torrance, the big guard out of Florida. Uh, you chose all through your draft. Way harder names to pronounce than I did. Uh, <laughs> My bad. <laughs> at number 37 in the second round, Edge out of Kansas uh, State. Felix and Udike Uzoma. Or, Uzuma, nice. or, or, or maybe good. Uzuma. I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, the big defensive tackle out of Baylor, Siaki Ika. Uh, outside linebacker DeMarvian Overshone out of Texas in the third round. In the fourth, you got this one? Uh, in the fourth, uh, I'm just going to go Oli Oluwatimi. Let's call him Ollie. Oli, Ollie, Ola, Olis, Olis. I'm, I'm not even going to go there. You can see it on the screen. Good try. Uh, and then an interesting uh, edge player that I want you to talk about when we get there, uh, Brenton Cox Jr. out of Florida, a guy that hasn't been talked about much in this edge class. Uh, in this fifth round, the second fifth round pick, Julius Brents, long rangy cornerback out of Kansas State, and uh, another Kansas State player in the sixth round, one of your favorite running backs throughout this process, Deuce Vaughn. Um, so let's do this. First round, I wish I could put both those on the screen. Here's here's what happened, and here's what I want to touch on at five. I was just having this conversation today. <laughs> with somebody about, you know, Carter versus Anderson, Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle out of Georgia, um, that the, you know, Seahawks fans for the most part really want one of those guys to fall to five, but I hear this a lot. No way that's going to happen. Um, I think it is possible. And if you look at some of the mock drafts that are coming out from the guys that do this for a living, do it full time. Chad Reuter just came out with a three round mock on NFL.com today where this happened as well. There are only four quarterbacks that teams feel like are first round picks in this draft. That's it. So if you need a quarterback, you're going to have to be aggressive. And there's some flexibility above the Seahawks because the bears want to trade out of one. The Cardinals very well may be looking to trade out of three. If the team that wants the third quarterback and wants to make sure they get them, especially if they think the Seahawks might be in play for one, they're going to be looking to move up. And there is a chance. There is a world where three quarterbacks go before five. And there is a world where one of the teams in the top four likes Carter and his fit more than Anderson. Now, you and I have talked about this. I'm not as big an Anderson fan as some people are. I, I, He's just not as physical as I would like. Is he better than some of the edge guys we have, outside linebacker, three, four types that we have? Absolutely. Um, I just have questions about fit and about his, his frame and whether he can add any 
any strength to it. And there's some games you put on where it just doesn't look like he's physically dominant, but universally this guy's considered as uh, the most talented edge player in this draft. And one of the top two defensive players. So you get, if Will Anderson falls to five, I'm guessing the Seahawks just stick and pick. And then at 20, um, this is interesting how this is shaped up because a month ago when you and I talked, we thought that 20th pick was kind of no man's land Mm -hmm. where it didn't really line up. None of the interior offensive linemen were really ranked that high. So it's a reach. Uh, There were a lot of corners and receivers and skill position guys around that area. Uh, The run on defensive linemen was kind of, kind of, you know, thinned out. But now I think, especially after what he did in mobile, nobody would bat an eye if the Seahawks went Schmitz at 20 and he would be a bona fide pro bowl, potential all pro center that starts as a rookie from day one and immediately upgrades your interior offensive line. Yeah. I mean, I think without question, no matter what, you know, network you watched, no matter what article you pulled up, no matter what you saw on Twitter, John Michael Schmitz was the winner, the biggest winner of any player at the Senior Bowl. And we all know Seattle loves the Senior Bowl. We've got connections to Mobile um, as a franchise, um, to the people that run the Senior Bowl. And you saw it last year. Uh, We took a bunch of Senior Bowl guys and we had one of the greatest drafts of all time. That has not always been the case with the senior bowl guys we got. We took, uh, i.e. LJ Collier was a senior bowl um, stud. And I expect him to not be a Seahawk here in the next month or two. But the way he dominated um, was was a whole nother tier above. You are talking, you know, I know some people don't like the idea of taking a center that early. I think, (laughs) again, we're talking about the Super Bowl. We're seeing the difference a center can make in this modern NFL. Yeah. It's it's a second quarterback. It's the guy that runs the protections and everything. Jason Kelsey is the probably the greatest center of our generation since Jeff Saturday, probably. Yeah. Maybe I'm missing somebody, but um, he's a beast. And Creed Humphrey in two or three years looks like the next great center. You know, those are two Hall of Fame caliber centers that we watched yesterday, and they both absolutely ran a clinic whether it was running or pass they were fantastic and john michael schmitz if he can be 80 percent of those guys he's worth a first round pick so uh you said some people don't like to go center that high daniel w is one of them got a couple of comments here live schmitz at 20 is crazy as fuck tyler lindebaum <laughs> tyler lindebaum the best interior o-line prospect since quentin nelson don't agree with that. Went 25 overall. Don't draft a center till the third at the earliest. If another team gets Schmidt, so be it. He's not that special. He's 23 years old. Take Joe Tittman, Alex Forsyth, Luke Whippler in round three and beyond. Here's a, here's what I want to say to that. Uh, at 20, first round grades are, are for the most part, dried up. Uh, Schmitz will have a first round grade. So if you're taking another position, you're most likely reaching. Second of all, just take good players. Take good players. Good teams don't have... Any rules like don't take a center till the third round. They don't. They just don't. People think the Seahawks don't draft corners because that's a philosophy of theirs before the fourth or fifth round. Nope. That's just the way the draft has gone for them and the way their needs have gone at when they've been on the board over the last 10 years. If they were in a position where the best player on the board was a guy that they thought could be an all pro corner, they would take a corner in the first round. I guarantee it. They don't have rules like that. Good teams don't. John Michael Schmitz immediately elevates that offense. 
makes it a lot better. And he's a legit first round grade at that range. Like we were talking earlier, are you taking one of the tight ends when you have three in the room already? Are you taking the sixth best corner? Are you taking the third or fourth best wide receiver? You could argue the guy you're going to take. Do you take the best guard versus the best center? Maybe there's some value in that. But here's the other uh, foul. Here's the other uh, problem with with Daniel W's uh, argument, and, and I respect his decision. Everybody has their own ideas about how to draft. Uh, Joe Tipman's not going to be there in the third round. In fact, he might not get out of Thursday either. Um, he's you're starting to see him sneak into the back end of the first round on mock drafts. Uh, Alex Forsyth and Luke Whipler, they might be there in the third round. They are they are so far away from what John Michael Schmitz is. Neither of them have the anchor that Schmitz does. Neither of them are, are, are strong enough. They're more like Austin Blythe than John Michael Schmitz. And I would also argue this. Uh, the Seahawks not taking center seriously enough is the reason that that they've had issues there. You just, you have to commit to it. If that kid's on the board at 20, I'm not passing him up. Let's go over your draft. Uh, Anthony Richardson at five. Tell me about it. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I have been talking about this for months, um, probably since we started talking to each other in September, October when college football started. Uh, Anthony Richardson is going to be a lightning rod uh, for a lot of people. Uh, You know, he, I think everyone can agree he's one of the most talented prospects in this draft. Um, And the stats don't quite match up with that, but there's a lot to that. So, Anthony Richardson, he's 6'4, 236. Um, Gets a lot of comparisons to um, Josh Allen. Josh Allen uh, is 6'4, I think 235. So, or 6'5, 235. So, he's a little bit taller, but same weight. Anthony Richardson is a heck of a lot faster than Josh Allen is as a, as a mobile runner. Uh, in this season, he completed 54% of his passes. So, that's like one of the first things that get everybody a little bit freaked out. Um, he only completed 54% of his passes for about 2,500 yards, had like a 17 to 9 touchdown inter- interception ratio. He also ran for 654 yards yards on about a hundred carries for nine touchdowns. Uh, you know, I think everybody saw him destroy a Utah Utes team that people were talking about as a potential college football playoff team in week one in the swamp. Uh, and, and then I think it was kind of like, Oh my gosh, this guy's the number one pick. He's the Heisman favorite. He was making, you know, incredible plays, you know, Patrick Mahomes style plays, uh, throws it harder than anybody runs faster than everybody. He looked, like a video player well then he kind of disappeared because for the rest of the season he plays on a really bad team at florida with a new coach who was a good coach but just definitely not running the style that i believe the seahawks are going to exactly run that could be a great fit for him and so i think that really turned some people off kind of in the similar way that will levis did i think if anthony richardson or will levis win 10 games they are 100 going in the top four like, I don't even think it's a question. I think Indianapolis is like, oh, that's fine. We don't need to trade up with Chicago. We're happy at four. In my opinion, they are more tested than a Bryce Young. It's not even close. Yeah. Like Bryce Young stacked up on top of each other is is about the size of Anthony Richardson. Um, This is maybe considered a little bit, you know, over the top. But like we're talking about a player in Anthony Richardson that is so raw. But his talent, his tools, you can see like it's like Michael Jordan level of skill. 
the way he throws the ball, the way he moves in the pocket, the way he just outruns safeties and cornerbacks yeah. on a top on a Rose Bowl team, right? But he also has kind of that Trey Lance, Justin Fields floor where they look like they can run pretty good. But there's also like we're probably about eight games away from being able to decide whether Justin Fields or Trey Lance are going to play in the NFL as a starting quarterback in the next for the next few years. Because right now it doesn't look like they can throw the football. Yeah, Justin Fields can light yeah. it up in fantasy football running for 150 yards, but he's not going to be able to hold up for 17 games for the next five years if he can't throw the football. Uh, Trey Lance... I, I was there in San Fran, in Santa Clara when Russell Wilson got his last win against the Niners there. He can't throw the football. Like people were yelling, chanting Tim Tebow at him during the game. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, it's that kind of a, a situation. So he could be that. The comp that you'll see, and I wrote about it a lot this year, he's my number two quarterback behind CJ Stroud the whole year. Mm. And he's, he, I, I've never really gone away from that. His comp is a mixture between Josh Allen and prime Cam Newton. Like that is what he can be. That is an MVP quarterback that can almost like single-handedly carry non-Super Bowl teams to conference championships and Super Bowls. Like people forget prime Cam Newton went 15 and one, yeah. dominated one an MVP. Um, he's a he, he, you know, we saw it with Jalen Hurts. He's a bigger, faster Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is 6'1, 235. Okay. Similar size, but a little bit longer. And Anthony Richardson runs faster. I think you can draft him and people are gonna be pissed. Because I still think Seattle is going to keep Geno. You can keep him and you can develop him for a year or two, just like the Chiefs did with Alex Smith and and Patrick Mahomes. But unlike with Mahomes, you can also use him this year to help you win games. You can use him in the short yardage. Use him like the Eagles use Jalen Hurts. Let's steal that fourth and one play, right? Until until that play gets made illegal (laughs) or like, you know, type of trick plays, wild, not kind of necessarily wildcat, but like wildcat with a quarterback that can throw. I think he's a guy that can help you get a couple first downs and a couple touchdowns during the season while learning and developing. It's, it's, It's a hot subject. He is going to go in the top 10. Like, I, I don't yeah. care what anybody says. Yep. When he's going to light it up at the combine. He doesn't get past Carolina at worst. And this is a guy that yeah. is going, no no chance. He is, yeah. he is, like I said, there is some Michael Jordan-esque tools there that other quarterbacks do not have. Not a single quarterback in this draft has it. I have C.J. Stroud above him just for more of, like, immediate right away you can go win you know 12 games with cj stroud in the right situation anthony richardson probably needs a year or two but if you unlock him you're looking at a a potential patrick mahomes type talent and here's what i would say i'm glad you mentioned mahomes here's what i would say to people that just really think this would be a disaster just because they see the completion percentage and they've watched a couple of games where he didn't play well or he wasn't accurate with the football um the the issues with richardson are mechanical and they're things that can be taught and coached when you talk to people uh who have been around him in the program or who have scouted him um the intangible stuff is off the charts leader uh student of the game studies hard works hard um, carries himself the way a quarterback should, um, and uh, important and, things and by the processes. Way. Things. Yeah, and and processes well. Um, you know, I've I've seen enough film breakdowns of this kid from people who really know their stuff that he processes well and he sees the game well. Um, people forget that quarterbacks get better. There were major question marks about Patrick Mahomes coming out of college and and his accuracy and and does his was he a little bit too much of a gunslinger and could that fit in the NFL and um, 
major question marks about Josh Allen and his level of competition coming out and, and Jalen hurts, you know, there were people mm-hmm. who wrote him off. Can't, can't throw the football, just a runner, just a gadget player. Well, he proved people wrong. And you know why? Cause he got better. Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. We watched Russell Wilson grow mechanically and, and, and improve his game while he was here. So that's, what's enticing to, to NFL teams because they believe they can unlock a guy that has those kinds of tools. <laughs> Yeah, I think the biggest thing, Anthony Richardson, he had a higher completion percentage than Josh Allen his last year, and that's in the SEC, whereas Josh Allen was at Wyoming. Um, and we saw what happens when you fix Josh Allen. He goes from 53% to close to 60%, and all of a sudden he becomes a top three MVP candidate. Yeah. And then the last thing is in Richardson's two games where he was the most overwhelmed in talent, uh, where his three most games, Utah, Tennessee, and Georgia, were his three best games he played. And in the Georgia game, he got his ankle basically rolled up on on the very first play. Couldn't run. Couldn't use his feet against probably the greatest, one of the greatest uh, college football teams we've seen. Mm-hmm. I know there's been a lot of good ones recently, but that Georgia team was special. And he still kept Florida in that game. It wasn't always pretty, but he had to be able to figure out how to keep up with Georgia throwing the football. And he stayed within one score until I believe about 10 or 11 minutes left to go in that game. Well, that's what, that's what you want to see from, from your franchise quarterback. Do they play their best when it matters the most? Absolutely. And, and for any, anyone listening to this or watching this, who's scared of this idea, you know, and, and, or, or just doesn't think it's ever going to happen. Uh, just keep in mind, you know, just think back. John Schneider has fallen in love with a few quarterbacks, has attempted to acquire a few quarterbacks. And if he falls in love with Anthony Richardson, he's there at five and he thinks he can be a future Franchise quarterback, he'll take him. I mean, that's one thing we know about John Schneider. Talk about the pick at 20, Osiris Torrance, big, big right guard out of Florida. Yeah, he's a he's a mountain man. Talking about if we took Anthony Richardson, let's make this a, a good environment for him. Let's make this a comfortable place for him. So let's give him a teammate that he played really well with last year. Um, uh, Osiris Torrance, 6'5", 347 pounds, right? You and I have talked about getting bigger, getting meaner, getting tougher um, in the interior, both offensively and defensively. That is a man that is going to move mountains for this run game. That is a man that is also going to pass block really well. Uh, he dominated at Louisiana. He transferred with, um, oh, I can't remember the, their coach's name. It, it escaped me, but um, transferred with the coach to Florida, dominated this year at Florida, um, on a team that really didn't have a whole lot else around them from a receivers, um, from a defense. And then again, you're talking about senior bowl standouts. This was another guy that got a lot of positive love um, from the senior bowl. There was some rumors about him playing center, but for me, if I'm drafting him, I'm drafting him as a guard. I think that's where he's best suited. Yeah. Um, I know PFF, I looked it up earlier. He grade, they grade him as a very good blocker, uh, a pass blocker, but he was an elite run blocker um, towards the end of the regular season for Florida. I think he was the highest rated run blocking guard in the sec um around thanksgiving yeah when i first looked at him about halfway through the season uh i can't remember which game i watched but i I just i wasn't really impressed with the first tape i saw on him i thought he was just a little slow footed kind of a plotter um my opinion changed uh 
drastically throughout the year. Um, just watching his tape and, and watching him move at his size and just how well he positions himself and moves his feet and shields guys off. And, uh, and, and, and the way he likes to hunt on the second level. Um, he's not one of those big dudes that just gets his initial block and then watches what happens. He's, he's looking for someone else to hit. Um, he's a plug and play guard at right guard where we expect Gabe Jackson to be uh, a cap casualty this off season. So uh, certainly makes sense to take Torrance. So we both go offensive line at 20. Uh, so let's look at my second round, uh, at pick number 37, Keanu Benton. I've come to call him a poor man's Jalen Carter, uh, similar dimensions, uh, six, five, three Oh five. I think a guy that I wasn't very familiar with until senior bowl practices and just the buzz he generated. And I put on, uh, the first tape I put on was, uh, Michigan state. And literally the first three snaps of that game, go to YouTube and go Wisconsin versus Michigan state, uh, 2022, the first three snaps of that game, he wrecks, he just single-handedly wrecks. Um, he's, he's strong. He's physical. He's good hand usage. He's got some pass rush moves. He's got some wiggle to him. Uh, plays with great leverage, uh, never gets pushed back. Great motor. Um, and, and he, continue. He looked that way in mobile too, and looked that way in the game. Uh, a guy that if you can't get Carter at the top, um, that second round, there's a couple of interesting defensive tackles of which you took one of them. And then, um, neither of us in these drafts took Kalijah Cansey. That's a guy that we'll talk about as we get closer to the draft. That's really interesting. But you know, you know, one thing that Pete Carroll has talked about and we all agree is they got to get bigger up front. And he name dropped Eric Armstead, and uh, and Nick Bosa in San Francisco, when he talks about the need to get better up front and to get more physical, and I think Keanu Benton is a guy that would fit perfectly there. He could play. Not only could he play the nose, but he's a guy that can stand up a little bit and play that big, uh, I guess, five technique in a uh, three four big defensive end. So um, <laughs> I do want to make this comment. Uh, I left him on here. The I like PFF's big board for the most part, but some of their stuff is just crazy with their grading mm -hmm. system. Uh, John Michael Schmidt's getting an F at 20. <laughs> I think they're doing a big update right now. You said you tried to do a, a draft on there today. You can only do two rounds. They're probably going to yeah. update that. There's no way he's an F at 20. Uh, Benton is a D minus at 37 is kind of laughable too. And then at 51, I took Jack Campbell, a guy we've talked about before. Uh, you talk about needing size, especially at that middle linebacker spot. Um, and Jack Campbell's that guy kind of reminds me a little bit of KJ Wright. I think he's 6'4", 235, 240, long dude, almost Jack Lambert kind of build. Um, kind of plays that way too. He's got an edge. He's nasty. Sheds blocks well. Does the dirty work. He's a guy that could play uh, the Mike linebacker spot uh, while Jordan Brooks is recovering from ACL. Um, and then, you know, th there could even be a conversation about Maybe Brooks' best fit is at Will. Again, like he played as a uh, little bit more as a rookie um, when Bobby was here. Um, but Jack Campbell can cover a little bit too and can cover some tight ends and a little more athletic than you might think. But just a, a physical uh, uh, guy who attacks the run is always moving forward, which is something I think they need. You know, the Benton is interesting because I think this happens too often in college football. No, like we're going to talk about that guard you have here next here in a little bit. But if TCU doesn't have a special season, nobody's really talking about Avila. Mm -hmm. um, if Wisconsin didn't tank and fire their really good coach, Paul Christ, halfway through the year or towards the end of the year, and they're ranked, I think Benton gets a lot more publicity if they're in the hunt for a Big Ten you know, 
championship appearance and a big bowl game, I think he's a guy you're looking at possibly trading back, you know, and getting that pick 24, 25, but because they had such a bad year, he doesn't get any love. And now it's all like, which is kind of the weird part of the draft. It's all, you know, what you did during the season. Also some of the publicity that you've had all year, like since last year's, you know, college football championship, Bryce Young's been the number one quarterback. Everyone says, oh, he's the number one quarterback. Yeah. I don't believe that, but that's kind of just the thing that's carrying over. Yeah. And the same, and then it's, you know, I just think Benton is a f- potential sneaky late first round kind of guy that you could get there. And then Captain Jack, man, uh, PFF graded him as the number one uh, coverage linebacker, which I thought was very, very interesting. Um, solid, steady Iowa linebackers, man, they get the job done. Personally, I think you move Jordan to to the will and it's not even a discussion as yeah. long as as jack plays like he was playing in the big 10 it's uh, i think the combine is going to be important for him if he mm-hmm. if he runs well put some good shuttle times up um at that size uh he could solidify that 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 second round spot for sure the number the number two ranked defense in college football and he was the captain of it there's yeah. something to that i think yeah. all right let's talk about your second round yeah, pick number 37. Um, this is a little bit of an interesting spot. So, you know, you don't go defensive end or edge rush at the first two picks, which I don't think there is one worth it at 20. Um, and five, we went a different route. So 37, um, this is a guy you'll see in mocks at the 50 range. You might see him early first. I think it's a great fit for him at pick 37, Felix Anaduke Uzama um, from Kansas State. And I'm just going to get this out of the way. So, like, I am a huge Oklahoma Sooners fan. I didn't take any Sooners in this draft, so I, I, I can <laughs> stay away from being biased. I do not like Kansas State, but I'm going to talk about Kansas State in this football program yeah. a lot here. Um, I respect the heck out of them. That is the all motor university, and that's going to something mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about a lot. Um, this guy, Felix, he's 6'3, 255, uh, um, played a little bit of outside linebacker, a lot of some big defensive end. Um, their coach, Kleiman, from who basically had the dynasty at North Dakota uh, State, came to Kansas State. Um, shocking stealing of a Big 12 championship in, in his second or third year there. Um, he had 50 tackles and nine sacks averaged the past two seasons under Kleiman's defense and stuff. So a really productive player. That's a lot of tackles for someone that puts his hand on the ground a lot. Um, also, you know, I grade him as probably the, the highest motor of all the defensive ends you know, get to the quarterback yeah. kind of guys um, in my draft. And that's something I think I've told you about for a long time. Like this guy just has kicked the living crap out of Oklahoma's NFL offensive linemen for the last two years, whether it's in Kansas state or at Oklahoma, he single handedly ruined. Uh, they played Oklahoma. Oklahoma was ranked fifth in the country and they were still thinking, you know, really well, you know, really high thoughts and, yeah. you know, just Cincinnati. Obviously, he's about ten or twelve, but Trent pushes you on your ass, kind of a guy, you know, from Cincinnati, which is someone I know you and I have, we've talked a lot about Cincinnati and their style of play. We need some guys that are just going to bull rush some people and blow up rush plays, and also just get to the quarterback, not kind of the way Daryl Taylor does it every time, where he overruns somebody and you leave a whole lane open, or yeah. you're getting blasted in the run game. This is a guy, his motor, his smarts, his fundamental coaching and program that he's raised in. I think he's a day one starter 
that can go out and go get you 40 or 50 tackles and nine sacks in the NFL. I think that is, I think he's an immediate guy that's going to play at his level. I don't know if you're ever going to get a superstar potential Hmm. from a guy like him, but that's a guy that's going to come in right away and, and be a starter on a good team, which is what you need. You need good players. You know, you don't need every, you don't need 30 superstars. That'd be great. But you need some good, solid players that you know aren't going to screw up and they aren't going to blow their rush assignment. They're not going to blow contain. They're not going to take four weeks to get, you know, their hand on a quarterback. This is a guy that's going to touch the quarterback every Sunday. So I, I really like him. And then you go with the big um, dude. And you then get, you I get the Seahawks and Noah's tackle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, if, if I want to uh, bring that quarterback or that running back over to Felix, I need a mountain inside. Um, this has been probably my favorite defensive tackle in this draft other than Jalen Carter, who I'd kind of consider as he is a defensive tackle that can do a lot of stuff. You're not getting that versatility with Siaki uh, Ika, but you're getting a man that you're going to put in the middle. If we're staying in any type of three, four, or we're staying in any type of bare front, this is a man that is going to, instantly take our 31st ranked rush defense and I think bring it all the way into the teens. Like just having he he's six four, three hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah. Uh, um, has almost the identical size as Vita Vea. Uh I think when you can and that's the comparison you're gonna see a lot. Yeah. I I, I don't want to say it's lazy. I do see some of it, but I don't think I don't think they're the same player. Nobody moves as fast as Vita Vea does for his size. And that is not Ika's game. Vita Vea is a guy that's going to get you six or seven sacks. Vita Vea is a guy that's going to get you, or I'm sorry, uh, Ika is going to be a guy that's going to get you three sacks. But he's going to shut down the run game, and he's going to push that center or that guard into that quarterback and not let that quarterback step up, which will allow for more wobbly passes, which means Tariq Wollin is going to get that defensive rookie of the year that he should have gotten. So instead, he's going to be kind of of an equal run defender lesser of a pass rusher but he like i said he's gonna guy that's just gonna lean on an offensive line for four quarters and he's gonna wear out an offensive line all right let's go third round uh in my third round uh you touched on it earlier uh i go and i get my guard and that's steve avila and he's a guy that you turned me on to initially about halfway through the season then got to see a lot of them uh, obviously with tcu in the playoffs uh, just a big mountain of a dude at right guard, but similar to Torrance, moves well for that size, uh, solid pass protector, but just a beast in the run game. And what's fun about this pairing is uh, we got to see Schmitz and Avila lining up side by side at center and right guard at the Senior Bowl. They were on the same line. Um, in fact, at one point, uh, no, I'm sorry, Avila was playing left guard. Uh, Schmitz at center, Torrance was at right guard. That was the line for that team. Uh, and so all of our guys were in there. Um, but Avila is a guy that's just, uh, I think he could be a day one starter. He's a guy that just gives you a lot more physicality up front, but, but moves well enough. Some people might say he's not a perfect scheme fit, but I think he moves well enough from what I've seen that he could play in that outside zone or you can adapt some things to him. Um, because I don't, I don't think he's that different physically or athletically from what Phil Haynes is. Um, he's more of a bigger uh, kind of a mauling type of guard. Uh, I think Steve Avila just, just improves your physicality up front. And then in the third round you went. Yeah, man. And then John had this together. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, we saw it 
from about the midway point, uh, the Tampa Bay game uh, kind of on where teams just started to pick on the the interior and they started to run more twists and stunts. Uh, at least that's what I was seeing. And they just picked on Blythe um, and, and his, his inability to anchor against uh, uh, power rush and bull rush uh, moved well, you know, he's a good zone guy. Um, but, you know, just not someone you could really run behind. And then when you put him next to Gabe Jackson, who just looks like, you know, that, that, 37 year old power hitter who just lost his bat speed and he just doesn't have, have that edge anymore. It was a kind of a lethal combination. Um, third round for you, you went defense again with DeMarvian over showing out of Texas. Yeah. A linebacker. Um, I really like, um, he's kind of undersized six, four two seventeen. But when I look, when I would, if I would just describe, uh, over I would say in one word, explosive, this guy is explosive. Um, he was, when he came to Texas, he was a defensive back that developed into a linebacker the last couple of years. So he has the speed, has the ability to play coverage, and now he's learning to play as a linebacker. He's putting on more weight each and every year. And so I'm really interested what to see when he gets into an NFL facility and they put 10 more pounds on him, maybe even a little bit more. If he can keep you know most of that explosiveness, you have an elite Swiss army knife that can play in coverage, um, you know, be a linebacker, uh, rush the passer. Uh, this season he had 96 total tackles, 10 for a loss, and he had four sacks. Um, the year before when Caleb Williams was at Oklahoma, um, there's a play where he blitzed and just wrecked Caleb Williams as he tried to run away from him. Like there wasn't even a, an ounce of doubt of who was more athletic in that moment in time. And so that's the kind of explosiveness I want to see. I can't help but watch his tape and see a little bit of Jamal Adams when Jamal Adams mm-hmm. was in his prime. Obviously, he's a lot lighter. I think this is another guy where if you want to take um, Henley from Washington State, who is a senior bull darling, I think you know a little bit about him, right? He's yeah, a cougar, right? Just a little bit. <laughs> it's interesting that neither of us took yeah, him. No, and- he's an absolute. Yeah, I, I think what's what's fun about Overshow, and, and I was thinking Henley as you were talking about him, is you know some people might say, you know, here we, we've been talking about size up until this point all the way through. And then you get to a guy like Overshone, who's, you know, a, a built like a tall safety. Um, I, you know, defenses are changing. And the, and the Seahawks second half of last season played a lot more nickel. And that might be the direction they go, especially if they can get a little bit more pressure up front. Uh, with just their defensive line and having those hybrid type players that can run and cover guys like Overshone and Henley. And some of those, we saw a lot of smallish linebackers, at the senior bowl running around guys who weren't prototypical size, but they can cover. And that's, you know, Overshone's a guy that can come off the edge too. You know, he's got those long arms and, and he's got that quick get off. Um, interesting, interesting player. Um, let's stick with you uh, to go to your fourth round pick mm-hmm. and talk about uh, I took Schmitz got a center in the first round but this would play into uh, into the comment we got earlier from uh, from Daniel W that hey you can get a center later and, and that's what you did here uh, in the fourth round yeah you know um, Olu Segun Oluwatimi is his name. Um, I watched him pronounce his name two or three times on YouTube um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this guy is 6'3", 301 he, uh, pounds. He's my number two center. Hmm. Uh, me personally, I think that's something you know you and I have talked about. Um, personally, because I think his 
specific specialty is pass blocking. I think this is a guy that needs to work on his run blocking, needs to refine this. This is a guy that I do have a little bit of concern about if he's your starting center day one, if the Seahawks play the Rams next year and Aaron Donald's lining up right next to him, he might blow up Oluwatimi a few times in the run game. But what his specialty is, is that you are not sacking my quarterback. Hmm. Um, before the the TCU game last year, um, I you know you talked last time on the podcast, 386 pass attempts from Michigan that year, last year, before the bowl game, zero sacks allowed yeah. by this man. Uh, he won the Remington Award. He won the Outland Award. He, he, when he was at Virginia, he was the best center in the ACC. He comes over to the Big Ten, which might be one of the greatest years of all time for centers in, in like college football in one conference. You're talking Schmitz, Tippmann, Whipler, and Oluwatimi, like four dudes that are probably starting at some point next season. Like that's in, really impressive. And um, he won Remington Award and Outland Award. Like he was considered the best um, in that sense, not necessarily like translating to the NFL. Um, he's a guy that, yeah, I don't know if he'll be there at 123. I was excited to see him at 123. He played well in the senior bowl. I liked what I saw from him. I believe he was lined up next to uh, Mouch, Mouch from North Dakota oh, State. Yeah. I'm not sure if he ever had much time with Avila, but um, looked good. Ran They ran the ball a couple times with him right up the gut, and he did a decent job. It's just one of those things where I think it's it makes sense to re-sign Blythe until a guy like if you're not going to take Schmitz, if you're going if you're not going to do that, then I would sign him cheap deal. And then you bring in a guy like this and you give him a chance to outbeat or outperform life. But you look at this NFC West that could have a Jalen Carter on the front line yeah. that will have probably at least in one addition more year to everything else we got to worry about. And, already, right? You know, yeah. Yeah. And then the 49ers, <laughs> like they, they might, they might lose Armstead this year or cut Armstead. Um, I think there's a chance Buckner gets cut or gets traded and I could see, you know, San Francisco bringing him back and reworking a deal. And that's something I've talked to you about that I'm interested in for Seattle. But this is a guy that I think halfway through next year, if you give him the time, I think he's going to end up being the second best center in this draft, which is saying a lot because Schmitz, I think, is one of the best center prospects to come into play. Sorry, Daniel W., but um, Schmitz is the best center prospect since Quentin Nelson. There you go. Uh, my for fourth round pick, I just, you know, I've been reading a lot. I think this is a little bit of recency bias. Just seen a lot of things the last couple of days from Jeremiah, from Dane Brugler, uh, talking about the the depth and strength of this running back class. And it's hard for me to envision the Seahawks coming out of this without taking a young running back with all the picks they have. And, and I expect them to make a couple of trades and end up with more um, than 10 picks. Um, Kenny McIntosh is a guy in the fourth round, I think makes all the sense in the world. Uh, he matches the the Seahawks, you know, size uh, that they like. He's six foot. I think he's 210, 212, uh, catches the ball really well out of the backfield, uh, as well as uh, he's shown moments of being a dynamic runner at Georgia. Um, PFF gives me an F for taking him at 122. Uh, there's some other guys. There's some other guys in the fourth round I could have taken. They're just different, little different shapes and styles. Some bigger dudes like Chris Rodriguez or or uh, Evan is it Evan Knoll, the kid out of Northwestern that, that had the good uh, Senior Bowl. Uh, I like McIntosh though because of yep. what he can provide in the passing game, um, and it would just be a kind of a cool compliment um, to uh, to Kenneth Walker. And then. Uh, 
Well, let's go there. That, so you went through the fourth round. So then I'll go fifth round, then we'll go back to you because two picks in the fifth. So I've really wrestled when I do these Sims on taking a quarterback. And most of the time I don't because it just doesn't line up that there's too much value usually in these two fifth round picks that we have um, at other positions. And the quarterbacks that I like are gone. Liked what I saw from Aiden O'Connell in the Shrine game and the week leading up to it uh, out of Purdue. Um, you know, the, the knock on him is he doesn't really have a, a gun, doesn't really have a strong arm, um, but he has every bit the arm that Brock Purdy does, and he's going to be the gold standard now for late round drafted quarterbacks. And he's bigger than Purdy. I think he's more athletic, um, known as a, a real fiery leader, a uh, guy that, that really uh, commands the huddle, uh, that guys love playing with and playing for. Um, and it just makes sense to me, unless you bring back Drew Locke as your backup to Geno and you bring both of them back, which there have been reports they're interested in doing. Um, it just makes sense to, to give a guy a shot um, that's got some experience starting multiple years in college that has some tools. Um, and then this is a guy, another guy similar to Keanu Benton that I just wasn't that familiar with uh, before the senior bowl. But every time I saw Jaden Reed run a route or catch a football, uh, he stood out to me. Uh, he's just six foot kind of reminds me size wise of Paul Richardson a little bit. Um, and his game just seems to me to be one that would complement uh, what the Seahawks already have in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Um, just a, a really dynamic route runner, um, who's athletic and has the top end speed can go deep, um, catches the ball well, and, um, might've been the most consistent receiver the entire week, uh, in mobile. So that's, that takes me through the fifth round. Any, any, uh, any thoughts on those dudes? Yeah, man, he looked great in the senior bowl. Um, if, if he's a potential number three type receiver, that's something Seattle definitely, definitely needs. I know that's something that you and I kind of didn't really attack there in the first couple days of the draft. Yeah. Um, I think that's, it's hard to, it's hard to read, you know, this, this wide receiver markets kind of hit and miss. Um, there's some potential former Rams guys like a Robert Woods that are probably going to get cut. Do they go back to LA or do does Shane Waldron scoop them up? Yeah. And so like, that's something that I'm interested in for a cheap third option. Um, but I also think we need to draft a wide receiver because the contracts of Metcalf and Lockett get very, very pricey in the following season, not the one that we're just about to have. And so I like that. And then O'Connell, man, he's a big dude. If you give him time in the pocket, he's going to, he's going to pick teams apart when he doesn't have time in the pocket. It's ugly. So it's just one of those things where if you have a great offensive line and you need him for one drive in a playoff game, like the chiefs needed Chad Henney to go down there in the divisional round. That's a guy that maybe in a couple of years you've got where if you can protect him, he's going to, you know, not ru- lose the game for you, basically. Yeah. All right. Tell me about Brenton Cox at pick number 153, Edge out of Florida. Yeah. Um, really interesting story. So he's 6'4, 255, um, had a fantastic year last year at Florida. Um, I believe he had double digit sacks, um, just caused a lot of chaos. Um, and on a team that was really good for the first half of the year, and then they fell apart, fired their coach, and things went really weird after that. Um, he is a defensive end that most people believe is going to play as an outside linebacker that might still rest the pass, uh, the quarterback every once in a while in the NFL, which I look at that as, okay, well, we don't have Daryl Taylor extended past next season, so maybe this is a guy that could potentially replace him if we decide we don't want to pay Daryl Taylor with his health issues and just his style of play, if that fits 
what Seattle wants to do. Um, he, in my opinion, is a potential first round talent that has some real attitude issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the reason why he is so low on this. You know, I think most mocks have him ranked in the top, you know, between 130 and 160. You know, that's that's not what his skill set screams. His skill set screams a guy that I would probably take at the end of the second, early third round. But after one year at Georgia, got kicked off the team for issues had a really great year at Florida and then halfway through, not even halfway through a couple games into this season when Florida at one point was ranked really high after beating Utah, him and the staff, this new staff mutually agreed to part ways. When have you ever heard that in college football? (laughs) Yeah, not very rare, very weird. Yeah. And, and so, and so it doesn't really make much sense to me what happened. He got interviewed by the senior bowl and he's just been very like vague about it. Like, Hey, I'm really big on culture. I'm really, I want to be a leader um, attitude, something I really want to be great at. He never really acknowledged that he screwed it. He never acknowledged that he did anything wrong at Florida. It was just a mutual parting of the ways. Hmm. So I think that's something that Pete Carroll and John Snyder, when they get him into a room at the combine or at the flu, I don't even know where he's going to do a pro day, probably not going to do a pro day since I doubt he's with the Florida program anymore. But in at the combine, that is something that I, we need Pete and them to figure out, you know, what went wrong because if you can, get past that and if there's a coach that you can history of overcome maybe some mistakes um it is pete and i think he has a good read on a person after some hot you know some successes and some failures of this if this guy can come around and be a help for seattle because if you can unlock him that is 2024 and i believe he could potentially be an upgrade over a daryl taylor who's not been bad he just has a hard time staying on the field yeah uh, and then we'll go with your uh, your second, fifth round pick, and then we'll both uh, give our final picks. But uh, Julius Brents is a guy um, that I first noticed about halfway through the season, just because he was he was so long. You know, he and this is before I'd really gotten familiar with the rest of the cornerback class, in which being over six foot is is not an anomaly in this class. A lot of longer, taller, bigger corners. But Julius Brents really, uh, I think he's six two. Um, struggled uh, in their conference championship game at times, um, but really, really played well down the stretch and a guy that um, might've been the second or third best corner in Mobile. Uh, Darius Rush had a great week. A couple other guys really stood out, but Julius Brents just was sticky in coverage and matched up with all the, all the receivers that were down there. Uh, what do you like about Brents and his, his fit here potentially in Seattle? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, in the last week or so, word's gotten out about this guy. This was a guy that was probably almost a guarantee to be here at 156. Uh, if we're being honest, because it was they played TCU, right? In in spring, is it was it were they matched up with TCU in, in their conference championship game? Wasn't that Kansas State? TCU? Yeah, they, he struggled trying to cover Johnson. I think. Yeah. Um, but but just looked great uh, in the senior bowl. Yes, he did not he did not play great, and did not look great in the Sugar Bowl either. Um, you know, but this is a guy that physically looks the part of almost a poor man's Tariq Wollen, and has a very similar season as a Tariq Wollen. Had some great plays when Tariq was at was at UTSA. 
you know, had some great plays, also got burned a few times. This is a guy that had four picks, you know, uh, on their website, they say he's 6'4", 204. I don't think he's 6'4", but he's definitely yeah. at least 6'2", pounds. Um, when I watched him, that this dude hits hard. This dude reminds me of like prime Richard Sherman, the way he would just blow up a run play or blow up a bubble screen, which I don't know about you. I'm so sick and tired of watching screen passes and bubble screens yeah. just get lit up, you know, against our defense and stuff. Those are easy. Those are basically passing running plays that are so easy to do. And we just, we give up massive plays every single time and the 49ers run an offense completely based on those types of things. And so this is a guy that could maybe blow up a brain and IU and get after him. There's some talk about him possibly um, becoming a safety. I don't necessarily see that. I think this is a guy that you put him in Pete Carroll's system. Um, like you said, he got burned. Uh, his footwork needs a lot of help. Um, that that's kind of the, the, the read, the vibe that you, you see here a lot, which Seattle runs a very specific, you know, the way they their kick step and all those things. Yeah. If that's something that he can take to, that's great. You have a potential number two corner that is a physical upgrade over anybody that's on the roster, including Kobe Bryant. If he doesn't work, you have a physical specimen that could be a great special teams player for the next couple of years. And so that's kind of, I really like him. Again, I think the, he's going to do well in the combine. He's going to do well in the pro day. And he's a guy that athletically people are going to drool over. But that was the same thing with Tariq Woolen, and he was still there in the round that we got him, which I believe was the fourth or the fifth round. Yeah, and it's such a deep corner class. You know, some of those guys are going to slip through the cracks. Um, the thing you mentioned, the Sugar Bowl, the thing that does stand out to me is there was there were a couple of plays early in the game where he got he got burned and uh, got tagged for uh, illegal contact, a little bit of holding. Um, but he came back and made some plays later in the game where he was. Um, uh, and I thought that that showed me something, you know, that that goldfish kind of memory and mentality and being, being able to bounce back. Um, my final pick in the sixth round at 197, um, even though I got Benton earlier and, he, and I mentioned he's a guy that I think you move around the defensive line a little bit. Um, since I didn't get Ika in the second round, I wanted to get a dude that weighed 350 pounds. And uh, Jared Clark from Coastal Carolina kind of. Um, Stood out, made a little bit of a name for himself down in Mobile and a guy that looked like he belonged there, even from a, a smaller school, just a, a big dude that can play the nose and and hold at the point of attack. Not much more there to say. I just think in the sixth round, you're looking for value and the, the Seahawks have had really good uh, luck historically with undrafted free agents at nose tackle guys like Brian Monet and, and Puna Ford was undrafted. Um, and Jared Clark, maybe in the sixth round, would make some sense for what they're looking for, especially with Monet um, potentially facing uh, the end of his career with what you're hearing about that knee injury and how severe that was at the end of last year. Certainly won't be available for the 2023 season. And then the potential that, uh, you know, Al Woods' contract may be one that might be a little more valuable uh, being released than being on the roster and, and at his advancing age. And it might make sense to, to add another body there and a guy that can, uh, that can hold tight at the point of attack. Yeah, I think that was someone that Emery Hunt on your guys' show talked about, right? Yeah, he did. He, a guy that stood out to him. The other day? Yeah, yeah indeed. Uh, you went with a guy that's not yes. not 350 pounds as your uh, final pick in the draft. Um, I took a little bit bigger a little bit bigger uh, running back earlier than Kenny McIntosh. <laughs> yeah, Deuce Vaughn. He's been a favorite of yours since you and I really first started talking draft about a uh, quarter of the way through the season. Yeah, you know, I spend, you know, all this time, you know, tweeting, writing about how Seattle needs to get bigger, tougher, stronger. And now, I'm, <laughs> you know, 
promoting drafting a guy that's five six hundred and seventy two pounds. Yeah. Um, Deuce Vaughn is one of the most fun players to watch in college football this, these last two years. Fantastic guy was the whole entire offense at Kansas State on on a team that had some re, you know really huge massive wins, Big Twelve championship. We talked again about that Kansas State motor. Felix has it. Julius Brents has it. Deuce Vaughn is like the embodiment when you think of that program and just outworking someone. He is that. This guy is Darren Sproles reincarnated. Yeah. 1,500 rushing yards, 400 yards receiving, 12 total touchdowns. He didn't do any special teams this year because they were trying to keep him safe. The year before, he was a monster in special teams. Hmm. All right. And, and Kansas State is a program that has a history of special teams monsters. Before Tyler Lockett broke his leg, he was a Pro Bowl special teams player. Right. And people kind of forget about that because now he's a, a borderline Hall of Fame, you know, level receiver the way he's producing the last few years. But he was a fantastic returner. He played at Kansas State. Um, as an Oklahoma fan, the ghost of Darren Sproles still haunts me to this day, the way he ran over <laughs> Oklahoma over and over and over every year in the Big 12. Um, cost us a Big 12 championship. But this is a guy, you know, I want Seattle needs more basically assholes in the trenches. They need guys that aren't going to get pushed around anymore on the offensive side. They're going to push back and they need on the defensive side, a bunch of guys that are going to push and bully, you know, in this division that has some really great teams. And then a conference that, you know, we just saw with Philadelphia, they look like the ultimate bully in the NFC and they're not necessarily going anywhere right. at the same time. We also need to get a little more twitchy. We need some guys that can break a tackle or two. How many tackles did Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf break this year? Yeah. Right. Marquise Good Goodwin was fantastic for us, but he was more of like a red zone kind of guy or a chain mover guy. That was not the biggest yak guy. Um, Noah Fant, you know, has all the skills, but he looks a lot slower than the first round top 20 pick that he, he was. Colby Parkinson, great running down the scene. Will Disley, not really a yak kind of guy. Right. Um, Kenneth Walker has that, but this is also your franchise running back that you're kind of leaning on for the next couple of years. You, we need a, a drop-off back. And I don't necessarily think Homer, who had some good moments this year, but I believe is a free agent in Dallas, um, I, we need that drop-down, that scat back, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think it was Scott Service that talks about it on the Mariners. Like, I love my scat backs, Haggerty and Dylan Moore, because they do the dirty work, they get the job done, which, you know, they, they steal their base. I think that's the same thing with the Deuce Vaughn. You put him in there on third down or second down on passing situations, there's any pressure from Gino, he doesn't have to throw into tight win windows every single time or throw it up to DK when he's been. You can just check it down to Deuce and he can take a two-yard pass and break one or two tackles. Like Kenneth Gainwell is what we saw in the Super Bowl. Kenneth Gainwell yeah. looked good. Yeah, You know, Jarek McKinnon, Kadarius Toney, um, um, Sky Moore. Those are the types of players that obviously so you're a lot higher rated than a Deuce Vaughn, but Deuce Vaughn was better college was a better college football player than all those guys. But because he's two inches shorter than all those guys, nobody wants to give him a shot. And and the same thing happened with Darren Sproles. And I think if you take a chance on a guy like that, that's a guy that's going to convert probably 20, 25 first downs for you this season, maybe that you maybe not have would not have had. And then who knows if you are able to bring back Godwin, I can't even say his last name, our punt and kick returner. That was fantastic yeah, the end yeah. of the season for us. But if Deuce Vaughn's back there too, that's exciting. So that's a guy that I think you can get in the seventh round that's going to play some valuable time for you. And I remind people of this all the time. You know, I like to go back sometimes to Pete Carroll's 
introductory press conference when he was first hired because uh, it's fun to watch because he talks about his vision and he talks about the culture he wants to build and how the style of play and about running the football and being physical and uh, and being tough and hitting you on defense and and everything in, in the way that they built them up until you know these last couple of years really mirrored that. But one of the things he also talked about at that first press conference from day one is I like guys that can score touchdowns. We got to have guys that can score touchdowns and they and add those dynamic playmakers to it too. And, and you have to, I, I think it's just one of those things that you got to add a, a player to every single year that can help you do that. And uh, because those guys get beat up, those running backs, you know, they get mileage on their tires and they get worn down. You got to keep adding youth to that room and receivers too. receivers get paid and you want to keep them. And they, um, uh, yeah. So I, I think it's, a, I think it's a fun pick. Um, I, I think it would, especially like in this scenario, uh, I think there's a real realistic chance that the Seahawks bring back Rashad Penny. Um, the running back market's not going to be lucrative this off season. There's a ton of quality free agents available. And we talked about the depth and quality of this running back class. That's going to depress costs. And so coming off an injury, you know, if you have a Rashad Penny come back as a, a guy that's a little more versatile, bigger guy, and you have Deuce Vaughn as that kind of change of pace. What what some of us kind of thought Homer could be, but Homer was never this explosive. Um, I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be fun. That's no. that's the word for it, for sure. Uh, let me ask you this. Is there, what's, when you look at your draft, uh, what's the one thing you wanted that you didn't get or the one thing that you don't like about it? You know, when I look at it, I think, I'm just, I feel a little bit weird at the 83 spot um, with with that linebacker there because I personally think this linebacker market is, or draft class is really strong. I think Dorian Williams at a Tulane was fantastic. The Pace brother, brothers from Cincinnati are really good. And you know, we talked about Henley. There's, there's guys that fall back. And there's also those, you know, like, lower tier guys that you can just put in and they're going to, they're going to make some tackles. I like, that's the thing that was always frustrating about Cody Barton. We took him in like the third round. You can get the production that Cody Barton gave. And I know he gets a raw deal to an extent, but he is not good. But like, that's the guy I can go get as an undrafted free agent. Like John Radigan played against the 49ers and there was not that much of a difference, you know, in level of, of poor play from the linebacker position, I believe, or it was Tanner Muse. One of those guys, I can't remember which one came in there in that second half in Seattle, but like, so again, overshown is fun. He's a Swiss army knife. I just kind of wonder, could I do a little bit more there? And then again, like I talk about, I really, I didn't, you know, receiver. Um, and that's something that at pick 20, I have a really hard time with. Yeah. Cause I wonder does O Torrance, you know, can I get a Jarrett Patterson from Notre Dame who I actually really like? Can I get a Steve Avila? But I don't know if those guys are there at 83 Whereas I feel 52 might be a little bit early for a Jarrett Patterson for me or an Avila type of a, of a moment. But I feel like it's going to be really hard at 20 if Quentin Johnson, Jordan Addison, or Jackson Smith and Jigba are there. But that's me just being a little bit greedy of like, oh man, could you imagine Lockett, Metcalf, and one of those three yeah. guys? No, I Because played- I'm a lot higher on Quentin Johnson than a lot of people are. Yeah, he seems to be slipping. Um, I I'm with you. I think that's a weird part of the first round. And, and I see, I see, I see. Yeah. When it comes to receivers, I've done the same thing. I've wrestled with that, you know, and taken a receiver at 20, but I don't, I don't like how it works out when I do that because 
the interior offensive line, there's there's usually a run between 20 and 37. And it just leads me, leaves me with my second tier, my third tier. Um, and I just think that's that important of a thing to focus on. I do like, the thing I like about your draft is that you went multiple edge guys, because I think when we talk about allocation of funds and payroll to be able to absorb a veteran quarterback contract, if that's what they're going to do, is that's one position. I think the Seahawks have, have made their statement when they traded Frank Clark a few years ago. They didn't want to play at the top of that range. They didn't want to pay $20 million to edge guys. They didn't want to play, pay that to Clowney. And so they let him walk. I think there's a hard line there. And, and, and so that's, mm-hmm. that's a position that if you just keep drafting and adding multiple players to that group every single year, then you cover yourself against busts. You know, if a guy like Daryl Taylor doesn't turn out to be what you thought he was going to be, um, or a guy like Alton Robinson gets hurt, then, you know, you, like, those guys are hungry and they want to get paid and you're, you're getting them, you know, in that range. Um, I like the fact that you basically triple dipped there. I mean, Cox is a, is a project you're taking a risk on his attitude, but even Overshone uh, is a guy that, you know, the way he's built, you know, if he doesn't really, you know, fit as a, as a true linebacker, he can kind of be that hybrid sort of edge guy too. So, um, and the, the thing in, in my, I didn't get, uh, I didn't get a corner and, and in most, most drafts I'm trying to do that. Um, and I didn't get a second edge. And that those are two of the things that maybe, uh, instead of taking O'Connell in the fifth round, um, I could have done that. Um, but, or maybe even in the sixth round, I can't remember now specifically if any of the corners maybe slipped through. Um, but I think that that range maybe in the fourth round, instead of McIntosh, I could have gone corner, but I, I feel good enough about the group they have. I think they're going to bring Michael Jackson back on a restricted deal. Um, you know, we didn't even see Trey Brown this year. I think they're still really high on him. Um, and so it's just those guys, they'll, they'll, I think they're pretty well taken care of there. Um, outside of that, you know, maybe the quarterback was a luxury pick and I could have got more value at 153 for a guy that would contribute more, um, in his first or second year. But I, I think we we both had pretty solid drafts. We've done so damn many of them that, you know, by the by the time the draft actually happens, we're, right. we're going to be able to go back and go, oh, yeah, I had him taking that guy. Yeah. In one of my 300 drafts. Sure, I did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I think like the one thing that was most most clear doing this draft is no matter what, like whether I went Jalen Carter first or whether I went Tyree Wilson, because I did, I've done probably 150 taking Tyree Wilson, because that's just kind of what I've I, Yeah, I, it's funny I that did. neither I've of done, us did. You know, in this quarterback one, yeah. drafts, CJ Stroud. Yeah. Right. But the one thing I've noticed when you don't trade, when you just stick and pick with what Seattle has right now, I, I feel like I've I've left with one thing I'm missing. No yep. matter what yep. combo I've done, I feel like, oh, I just don't know if I quite got the wide receiver or, oh, I didn't get that defensive tackle that I'm that excited about, which makes me wonder at five or at 20, because everyone talks about five, but what about at 20 if yeah. you can trade back and pick up one more third round pick or one more second round pick or you'd trade at five like and we'll talk about this at some other point but if you trade back and you get a boatload of stuff you now i can go get you know how much i love darnell washington i, I yeah. want darnell washington on the seahawks yeah i'd love to add a receiver but i also any need, one of those tight ends neither of us took a tight end i also need yeah you know, Neither of us took a tight right. end and, and, you know, the experts and, and that's the are talking is, about is, this class as being one of the best tight end classes in decades. So neither of us got value there. And, and we run a, we run a tight end. 
and we run a tight end friendly scheme. Yeah. And that also goes back to the thing is that the draft is after free agency. There's probably four or five Seahawks that aren't on the roster right now that we don't know about, which will clear the map, you know, the path up for us. For sure. These still fun. These mocks will be uh, a lot more um, targeted, I think, after free agency starts. Um, and, you know, we keep hearing that Will Disley's knee might be, you know, more severe than than the team originally let on. And, and you know, that might be a concern. You can free up, I think, $3 million if you move on from him. So there's lots of possibilities there. It is something that I, that I go back and forth with. And I think moving down from 20 does make a lot of sense value-wise because of what we talked about, that most teams don't have 20 first round grades or more. And so if there's a guy that they love that falls to that point, they might be willing to give up some value to move up there. And, uh, and there's some value to be had in getting extra day two picks for sure. Um, well, thanks man. Uh, we kept it to an hour 15. That's not bad. It's not bad for doing two mock drafts. Yeah. <laughs> we could. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> and we had to be fun. We had to be concise. It's always fun. It's always good to have you on and uh, we'll definitely do it again. Um, after, after free agency gets going, things look a little clear. We'll get on and, uh, we'll play around with this, uh, some more Michael Thompson. You can read his stuff at 12th men rising. Um, tell him what else you got going on. Um, uh, uh, even a new podcast that's not football related, but go ahead and, and, uh, let the folks know what, what you're doing. Yeah, no, if, if, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael T underscore zero five. Um, and pretty much on a weekly basis, I'll have stuff out for, Soto Mo um, at Fan Sided, 12th Man Rising, College Football Saturday Blitz. And then, yeah, just started doing uh, a Mariners podcast. Um, no better time to talk about Mariners and maybe the history of the Seattle Mariners yeah. than right now. Um, and so you can head on over to um, uh, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts. It is the My Oh My Mariners podcast. And so trying to do a podcast every week. I'm just talking about anything that's happening right now. It's, you know, Dylan Moore signing. Um, international prospects getting ready for spring training and you know the Mariners are in the hunt for a world championship this year and we're going to talk about it and I'm hopefully uh, I can get I can get Dan on the show every once in a while uh, I'll give you my thoughts on what I see at spring training when I head down there on the 26th for nine days excited about that Michael Thompson thanks for joining us again uh, it's a good time as always and uh, we'll have you back on the show soon uh, a little bit different show though I'm going to touch on that in just a moment awesome. so thanks Dan thanks for joining us uh, speaking of that, so as most of you know, that, uh, listen to this podcast, you know, that this podcast ends on the 28th of February, Vox media has decided basically to eliminate all podcasts from their network, which means, uh, uh, any podcast affiliated with the field goals website, uh, will be no more. Um, and so I've, I've been working on some things on the side of, of, of what all, of what I'll transition into after the show. Of course, um, those of you who listen to Dana know that uh, she's got multiple things going on. Brandon, I believe, is going to continue with the Seahawkers podcast, but we're going to talk about that in detail next week. For me personally, um, I am just going to do my own thing again. And if you listen to either of my um, two podcasts that I did previous to the show, the Dan Cave or the Emerald City Sportscast, you know that I tried to balance things out. I did talk some some Mariners. And I tried to keep it a little more Northwest focused. I would even talk some Cougar football and some other things. Being a part of field goals and talking about the Seahawks on a nightly basis has uh, really crystallized for me that that's my true passion. I love baseball and I love the Mariners and I love talking about it but not with a microphone in my face. It's just not a passion for me the way covering the NFL 365 days a year and the never ending schedule and the team building that happens in the off season and the things that go into game prep 
and game review during the season. It's just something that doing the field goals podcast uh, allowed me to realize that that's my passion. And so I'm going to focus just on the Seahawks moving forward. And it didn't take me long to decide on a name because it was right there in front of me. I've been on Twitter for 12 years. My Twitter handle on, on, uh, has been Seahawks forever and uh, will continue to be. And that will be the name of the new show. Um, and so look for that um, uh, after the 28th. So as I mentioned, I'm going to spring training. I'll be back on the 6th of March. Uh, my first show will be sometime between the 6th of March and the 15th of March because that is the start of the league year. That is when teams can start signing free agents. And actually, I think the 13th is the quote-unquote legal tampering period. And so we'll have lots and lots to talk about. Here's the cool thing. Vox Media has been gracious enough to allow us to maintain the feed. What that means in layman's terms is basically the code that identifies that podcast. Uh, I get to take it with me and use it for the Seahawks Forever podcast. And so if you subscribe to Field Goals, as soon as I start doing shows under the Seahawks Forever banner, you will get notifications and you will be able to listen to it and you'll be subscribed on your podcast app, Spotify, Apple, Podbean, whichever Stitcher, whichever podcast app you use, you'll still you'll still be able to follow my podcast. Um, between now and then, uh, you'll see a little bit of rebranding on my YouTube page. It's already there. Um, but we'll still be doing field goals shows up until the 26th. And again, next week, uh, look for a very special episode where Dana and Brandon and I will get, get together as a group one more time to kind of put a bow on this thing. Um, thanks for listening. I hope you appreciate this particular episode. Um, mock drafts always garner a lot of attention and a lot of reaction, a lot of feedback. They always get tons and tons of comments on the field goals page. And so I can't wait to see what some of you think about uh, what Michael did, what I did, what we didn't do. Always love the feedback. Everybody has a different um, kind of a different way of looking at how to build a team. And you know what? All the teams do too. And that's what makes it fun as well. This, this thing's going to really get cranked up with the combine in a couple of weeks, and then we'll head into free agency. Thanks for listening. Again, I'm Dan Viennes. Follow me at Seahawks Forever on Twitter. We'll talk to you next week.